it's always good to be here. And uh, I just, it's, it's uh, I'm here, uh, been here, this is my third time here, and I'm thinking about a month or so, I'm gonna be here again, four times. And so, that's about enough though for the year, you know. That's, I like I like you, but I don't, I don't like, like you that much, okay. But no, I really enjoy being here. Uh, I usually like to update my life, but since I'm preaching here, you know, pretty regularly, there's not much exciting things, but there have been things that manifest my multi-talents uh, this past few weeks. And I like to start off uh, light because this, this sermon is actually very heavy, okay. Um, what was interesting is uh, two weeks ago, my water heater started leaking, which means that it's time to replace the water heater, which goes out every seven, 10 years. It just goes, the new ones, they just kind of they start rusting out and they get a hole and things like that. So I got a, I got a, a, a quote for about $1,000 to replace it. They haul away, I said, that's nah, too much money. I will do it myself. <laughs> so I went to the hardware store, I loaded, I would fold down the, 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 the seats of my Ford Focus, they helped me put it in, <laughs> drove home, you know, bungee cord. I'm, I'm home alone, my wife's in New York City. I pull out that thing, take the old one, take it out, put the new one in, all by myself. Don't leak, okay? Okay, mine took an hour and a half, but it don't, don't leak, and I saved about $550, okay? So I'm a plumber. <laughs> I brought my wife's car in for a recall. It was an airbag thing. Then they kind of check over the car and they give you everything else that's wrong with the car. You know, so they, you know, they, want, they, they try to get you know, more repairs from the dealer. So uh, they said, well, you need new brakes. No problem. Besides being a plumber, I'm an auto mechanic. <laughs> so I go to uh, AutoZone. I get top of the line pads, you know, ceramic. You know, and I put those babies in, all four, rears and, rears and back, no sweat. I take my car, because the rear was, was kind of bumpy and the, my tires were cup, cupping and they said, I need alignment. They also said, you need new rear shocks. How much you do it for? Well, we do all of them for $800. I said, too much, because I'm a mechanic. <laughs> I might not be able to put tires on a car, okay? Not that strong, you know, rip them off the, 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 the rims, but. I said, what I really need is the rear shocks. I don't need the front ones. I go to uh, 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 O'Reilly's. I like to be, you know, I like to spread out the money, not one store, you know? You know I, I like to fair play with everybody, you know? I'm in a good mood. I spring for the top of the line shocks, $33 each. Put them in, no problem, auto mechanic. <laughs> Last week, my wife and I are saying, our couches look like a mess. You know, you have a couch that is the main couch. We raised our kids on this couch, okay? 10 to 12 years old, okay? You're talking about cushions of what used to be the cushions are kind of like, you know, they, they sort of like need a, a facelift, you know? But, uh, you know, but it's so, so, you know, I'm saying, you know, the cushions are actually good and it's, it's the batting. No problem. <laughs> I go to Joanne Fabrics, buy the biggest pound, buy a box of batting and that polyester fluff, the biggest one. Five pounds of air. <laughs> Fibrous air, basically. No problem. Put five pounds in. That's a lot of polyester fluff batting, okay? The sofa looks brand new. No problem. I'm a reupholsterer, you see? <laughs> 
I do some other things, but I gotta, I gotta go quick, you know? Uh, I'll surprise you the next time I, I speak, okay, of some of the other things I've done. Well, I, I say this because um, I wanna start light because this is very serious. This sermon's very serious because there's a lot of things happening in this world that has caught my attention, and I, I often pray for the world as, uh, as we should all do at, at times, you know? I think uh, what's happening in Ukraine and, 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 uh, and Russia, if you are Ukrainian or Russian descent, you're very burdened of what's happening amongst the border there. If you are Middle Eastern, you should be really very burdened what's happening in Syria, what's happening in Iraq with ISIS. If you are one of the minority groups around there and some genocides occurring, and then there was the beheading of, a, of an American, um, a journalist that uh, was, you know, just, just upsetting. Then the Palestinians and Israelis are at it because three Israeli teens were abducted and, and, and slain and Israelis retaliate as, as they do to defend their country and it just escalated between Hamas and, and Israel. And it's going on, they would have ceasefires and then they just shoot more missiles and the ceasefire would be broken. But it's not only in faraway places. In the United States you have what happened in Ferguson, Missouri where a police officer shot a, a, a young man, someone who just graduated from high school was gonna to go to college. And they're still trying to sort out what happened, but there was a rioting and unrest in Ferguson for a few weeks of what's happening and needs some, some great healing. All of this reveals not just the need for peace, but an underlying dilemma that is found in all of mankind in you and I. There's the actions we do, but then there is the deep-seated feelings that we have that we often are very negative toward each other, a paranoia, a suspicion, a hatred, a tit-for-tat vengeance, and a piling on, you did this, well, I'm gonna do this twice to you, so you will never do that to me again. And you see this in the world. It's an inner thing beyond the action. Then very recently, in uh, an icon of San Francisco culture uh, passed away uh, named uh, Robin Williams. I had dinner with uh, some uh, friends in, uh, in a restaurant in San Francisco on Friday night, and this uh, couple, they live in Tiburon. And I said, well, I, I knew Robin Williams lived in Tiburon, that's one of his houses. And I said, uh, did you ever see Robin Williams? He says, oh yes, his house was just three houses from ours. Uh, and I said, oh, wow. And he said, yeah, the people bringing all the flowers and stuff in front of the door and things like that. And uh, I, I've never heard of a comedian who was the magician of the improv as Robin Williams. You have some comedians who have to have uh, written out jokes. They're stand-up comedians, you know? They, they have writers. They, Robin Williams didn't need a writer. Is the quickest mind ever. He'd go into whatever uh, voice you want and you know, any, any interview just like that. He could, he could just, and it would be a, a, a great funny interview. And the prevailing theory is that he, he took his own life. Uh, you know, he was a great actor, a great comedian. I loved when he did uh, Goodwill Hunting. Uh, it was one of my favorite movies. With, 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 it was like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's first movie, and, and, and Robin Williams played the psychiatrist and the caring and wise psychiatrist. I can't think of anyone who, in the comedic world, that was more successful and brought more joy to people. 
But if the prevailing theory is right that he took his life, there was something deep churning within him. And it again reveals the situation that is found in us all, that we can do things in this world, and sometimes we do things, we do bad things or good things, but really what motivates and what is very, very important is what is churning deep down and within us, in the soul that you cannot see, but is present. The sermon series that Terry has um, brought for the summer is Wisdom for Living. And I said I will preach my messages on wisdom from the book of Proverbs because that is the epitome of what wisdom is. Tips for living with a moral twist. And they give you, uh, in the book of Proverbs, all sorts of really um, enlightening themes of how to find a spouse, how to uh, 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 measure people wisely, how to be proactive, how to make good friends, how to be a good parent, how to be a good, all really good money, all, anything, it's, it's, it's in the Proverbs. But there is this passage in the Proverbs, which is really one of my favorites, that actually looks at wisdom not from just the decisions you make and the actions you take, but from how wisdom is applied within your soul. It is not you with your hands. It is you within your soul, wisdom. It is very unique in this book, but very much captures what our faith is all about. Now, the passage is found in your program. And there are four points to this message, and I'm going to read uh, this passage in four sections. The first verse is the first point. In the bulletin, it's Proverbs 24, verse 16. It goes like this. For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. Now I want to bring up the first point. The first point is this, a reflection point. We want to seek after resiliency versus a one and done mindset. We get up. It's very, very important that the writer of the Proverbs brings this up because oftentimes people think that it is, must be God's punishment upon us that we are suffering or we fall. That could be furthest from the truth in Proverbs 24, 16, for it goes, for a righteous man falls seven times. What differentiates the righteous from the wicked is not whether they experience the fall. What differentiates between the two is whether they get up from the fall. This is very, very interesting. Because many people think that if you are a spiritual being and you follow Jesus, there is some sort of a spiritual immunity you have uh, uh, from damage. And that is not what this passage is teaching. It says a righteous man falls seven times. Number seven is very, very important here. When you read numbers, numerical values in the Bible, sometimes they could be deadly accurate. Sometimes they could be rounded off estimations. Sometimes they are spiritually loaded figures that are symbolic teaching a more spiritual tie to it than the exactness of a number. This word seven falls in the third category. 
You should not think that a righteous man falls seven times or a righteous woman falls seven times and then you're immune because we don't fall eight times. I count, I read it seven, I, am I gonna fall? Because it only, it's just, I, take, I, I take the Bible literally. Now that's not what I'm talking about. This is a spiritually loaded number, seven, three, 12. Those combinations are always spiritually loaded. It's multiple times. But there's a spiritual dimension within the fall very interesting, you see it differently. It is not your destruction, but there's a spiritual element to it. Some of you may fall 20 times, some 30, some four, but it is something that we will all experience, some of our own doings, some external, some of you will be the total victim. On Thursday, uh, I went to the South Bay to meet with a group of pastors and uh, we had not met together uh, as this group, this, this group before. So we met at the church of a very prominent pastor in the Bay Area and uh, author and uh, internationally known. And he said, well, let's just share about our concerns as we know each other. So I'll tell you a few things that these pastors shared. One shared about a betrayal of a staff member and how it was hurting him, and he did not know how to respond. Another talked about criticism from the congregation that seemed unwarranted, and he said it was hard to love them. Pray that I can love my congregation. This is very frank pastors talking, but this is really experience. Others talked about how they pastor small congregations and they can't make ends meet. One talked about the need to find another job on top of being a pastor because the congregation was small and a number of the, the people were unemployed or underemployed. Another shared that his wife was experiencing a series of miscarriages and asked for prayer for that. Then the host pastor, who was the big guy, shared a very unusual praise. And he said this. He said, my wife is doing very well. For my father-in-law, her father was a cruel man. Now, I don't know about you, but if you describe your parents as cruel, that's, that's, that's pretty bad, okay? For a Christian to say you're cruel, you know? If you're not Christian, you could use other words, you know? But you, you know what I'm talking about, you know? And, but it's like, it's cruel. And he said, but he came to Jesus last year and the first time in my wife's life, she was, he's able to manifest love to his daughter. Now his wife's at least 60 years old. 60 years of this. What all these people had in common wasn't that they experienced the exact same thing. Finance, health, betrayal, uh, rejection, terrible relations with relatives. It's the fact that all these people, in their experiences, they got up. And they continued their faith in God and their journey to do and to pick themselves up to do what was right in the sight of Jesus Christ. 
my heart broke when that host pastor shared about his wife because I'm, I'm kind of family friends with them. She and her husband raised some marvelous children in the midst of that. Never think you're immune to this. And if at the first point, and some of you need to put yourself in this, some of you need, because of what life has dealt you, you are in a place in life where you need to get up. By the grace of God, get up. It could be your thoughts on God. It could be thoughts about your life. It could be thoughts about your situation. In Christ, what differentiates us is we get up. Some of you need to do that. The second point, we've got to go really quick with very unusual abrupt transitions. It's verse 17. It's connected to the first verse because all these five verses deal with wickedness, righteousness, uh, enemies, injustice, and uh, how you deal with it. Verse 17, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Now, I think that this is the, actually the hardest verse to actually apply, okay? Because obviously we don't want to laugh at the demise of our enemies, but all of us feel like Karma. What goes around comes around. Okay. Put it behind my back, but my thumbs are up. <laughs> because we all desire a sense of justice. This is a very, very touchy subject, and I need to explain it clearly. Because I don't want to make it sound like we abdicate justice. No, we uphold justice, but there's a point where we can go over the wall and our pursuit of justice and misapplication of justice makes us fall. Let me give you the three aspects and perspective of justice that are actually good. We all need justice. That is good. That is very good. We all are upset or agonized when we see injustice to others, to friends, to ourselves. That is a good thing, actually, because it's part of us that we desire justice. You see, I'm not gonna say this, that, oh, well, you know, you know, just, just, just forget about it, you know? No, 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 we have built in this desire for justice, and when injustice doesn't occur, we, we get upset. A third perspective that is good is the realization that complete justice will never occur in this life. And that is the one that trips us. We seek it. We are upset when it doesn't happen. But we realize it'll never be full in this life. Those are the three healthy perspectives of justice. So when you see someone who is being abused unjustly, you help them and you try to deliver them because that's good. Now, there are two perspectives that will get you in trouble. The first perspective is when you are obsessed with complete justice in this world and in your life. Obsessed. You're never gonna get it. That's why Jesus needs to come. Because we'll never figure it out. 
And the second one that gets you over into the bad realm, the red zone, is when you find joy in the punishment of the perpetrator when he gets or she gets hers. See, it's this balance between the need for justice and then the perspective, I find joy in the suffering of other people. That jump over seems for many people to fall, it's it's hand in glove, it has to go together. But in Christ, this is where they separate. Justice, Jesus, when he comes back, will judge all mankind and each one of us, the books will be opened of everything we did. And he will deal with us accordingly. And when he deals with us, some he will deal negatively. But he does not find joy in that. Some of you, and this, the next reflection, I'm going to bring up. You need to have mercy instead of retribution, and you need to give it up. Don't gloat. It's very hard to do, actually. The third point is found in verse 18 and is connected to verse 17. Or the Lord will see it and be displeased. Now, how does it? You have to understand. We have to go to verse 17. And do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Or the Lord will see it and be displeased and turn his anger away from him. This is the. This is actually. It seems like an easy passage. It's very hard. It's like what's the world going on? It's like God saying, "Well, you know, I was going to defend you, but I saw you do thumbs up, Jeff. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to defend you because of the thumbs up." I said, like, "Come on, man! I just did this, and it was a little thumb up, you know. I mean, I did it behind my back, and actually, I didn't even have them. My, my thumbs hurt. It was, it's, it's, you know, and it's not fair because you know it's in my soul. How can you see my soul? You know, it's, it's not fair." It seems like God is very, like, like, like picky, you know? Like, I gotta be perfect? No, that's farthest from the truth. Because you, when you see this in the light of the New Testament, you understand something. In the whole perspective of how God deals with mankind, sometimes we think that God is like the ultimate judge. You do wrong, he gets you right there. And he's the defender of you, and that's all he cares about. Justice. But really, when you see this verse, it's a glimpse of what Christ is purpose is in this world. Let's bring up the third point. It is my development versus God's justice manifested in this world. Sometimes we think it is just the other person without seeing that what God is dealing with is not just justice. Of course God is concerned with justice. But what he is more concerned is your development. Do you have the heart of Christ in the whole thing? You want to be vindicated. You want justice, okay? But how about you? Are you trans being transformed to the image of Christ in this whole mess? And oftentimes that's what we, we lack. And we need to be open. We need to open ourselves to the change, to be like Christ. Jesus Christ was railroaded by a Roman government. He was rejected by the people he was to deliver. He was betrayed by one of the 12 in his inner circle. And he was abandoned by the 11 others in his inner circle. 
Yet on the cross he said, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's very hard. How do you do that? It's a development of it. Sure, Jesus is going to come again and, judge and, and, and open the books and judge us all, but there's this heart and balance of the two that we need to understand and be transformed. There's a story I want to give, and I go really fast. Last night, I was actually awake during the earthquake because I, was, I had read an article about a year ago and wanted to read more about this, this gentleman for this sermon. In 1986, in the month of August, which is this month, a man, I think he was about 21 or 22, married with a three-year-old son, went to work at 5.30 in the morning. It was the day after his birthday. As he leaves on his way to work, his wife is bludgeoned to death. The police think it's him. He is tried and convicted of murdering his wife. No plea deal because he, he claims innocence. He serves 25 years in, intense, in Texas high security, maximum security prison. Okay? And that's, that's, I don't think it's a fun place. He said, it was bad enough they took my wife and the injustice. But what kept me going was the fact that I had a son. And the son would come twice a year for the first 10 years of his incarceration. And that's what gave him hope to move on. But when his son turned 13, he said, I don't want to visit my father anymore. He killed my mom. And the father said, he has to come here and tell me that face to face. He said it was a 90 second visit. It tore his heart. His son was 13. When his son was 18, he hit rock bottom because his son legally changed his last name from Morton. The man was named Michael Morton to the people who adopted him. And that was 15th year of incarceration. He had hit rock bottom and he prayed to God, I have nothing. Nothing. What happened to him was very interesting. For shortly after that, he had an experience with his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that would change his life forever. When he hit rock bottom, he encountered God and rediscovered the faith that he grew up in but was not walking in. And a peace came upon him that was incredible. He says it's, it was like it was night and day. He said prison was hard. He did not like prison. But a peace came about him. His nickname in prison was the Ice Cream Man. And I was reading about how he got that nickname. He got that nickname because one of the only people who still supported him was his parents. He wrote, everyone thought he was a murderous perv. That's his words about himself, what people thought, a murderous pervert. 
So we would take the money that the prisoners could spend for snacks and buy ice cream for the most neglected prisoners in the maximum security prison in Texas. People that did not visit them. A group uh, known as the Innocence Project probably finally came and took up his case and it took five years to get a DNA test of a bloody bandana. You'd have been in prison for 25 years. They found out in order to free him, his wife's blood had to be on there and the DNA of an, another person had to be in there. What's the chance of that happening? Bingo. He didn't do it. It was someone who was a convicted felon. Because of that, the prosecuting attorney was, went to trial for withholding evidence because they found out that he withhold evidence from the defense attorneys that would have freed him at the trial. But for the need to convict, they withheld the evidence. This is what he said. On the day of the hearing for this prosecuting attorney who is now a state judge in Texas, he said, do what you need to do but be gentle on the man. And he said that crying. Now, I don't know how this goes, okay? I just, I don't know how this goes. I, 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 I say to him, if I'm in the same place, man, is it, this is some, some ride, man, some ride. This is some ride, okay? What took, his, took over his need for vengeance for the first 15 years of his incarceration, he thought of every way to get even when he is freed upon those who convicted him and sent him to prison to get them back. And then Christ came to him and he changed. To development. And that is what ultimately is, is the goal. The final passage is in verse 19 and 20. Do not fret because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked, for there will be no future for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Now, this is very interesting. They're all very interesting verses. What's clearly, it's not really clear back then, but I am thinking it's clear to me, is that what the proverb writer is talking about is not talking about death, because look, if it's death, the righteous and the wicked, we, 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 we will all die. Okay, I'm sorry to make your day feel bad, okay? We're all gonna die, okay? Okay, some of you have an inflated understanding of, of, you know, of, 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 of vitamins and, and, and drinking vegetables, you know? But you're all gonna die, okay? <laughs> What's interesting here is that the proverb brought is talking about a hope beyond the grave that is hinted here and shouted out loud when Christ comes and dies on the cross. And here comes the fourth and final point. To trust in Jesus for your future. You know, there's a bit for everything, everyone here. Some of you gotta get off the mat. I don't know who you are, but there are some people here and you got a parking place somewhere. 
You got to get off the mat through the grace of God. Some of you need to let go of the, the sense of retribution or the pleasure and punishment of your enemies. Yes, you see justice, but understand that justice is complete. Some of you need to develop yourself and to have the heart of Christ. And he manifested on the cross and illustrated in this man by the name of Michael Morton who wrote a book called Getting Life. Kind of interesting double entendre type of title. And some of you need to put your hope in Jesus for your future. Because life is not going to be fully fair in this world. So you're always going to be disappointed if that's what you're looking for. But our future is in Christ. And for some of you, you need to put your hope in him for the very first time. Let me pray for you. After the prayer, there's a collection of offering and then a final song. Our Heavenly Father, I pray for these, my friends at Cornerstone, people at every stage and journey in life, experiencing many things. For some, get up. They might have been on the mat for 10, 20 years. Through the grace and the power of the Spirit, lift them up to find the hope that is in you. For other, it is to begin to change the sense of vindictiveness and the joy and suffering of others, even in the guise of justice. For others, it is to be transformed in the inner being to be gracious. For others, it is to know you for the first time and to put our hope in you, to be the catalyst for this transformation. May your grace be manifest to us, Lord, and transform us in a very difficult time, in a very difficult world. For I pray this in Jesus Christ. Amen.